So welcome to Demystifying Genetics. Um, I, my name is Matt Burgess. I'm a genetic counsellor in Melbourne with um, a private practice called Insight Genomica. And today I have Yasmin, who is a genetic counsellor living and working in Singapore. Thank you so much, Yasmin, for being here. You're welcome. So a little bit of your background. Um, so you are quite a sciencey person and you graduated with honours in a science degree from Monash University in Melbourne in 1998 and then went on mm-hmm. to do okay. genetic counselling at the University of Melbourne in 2007 and you became certified yep. in genetic mm-hmm. counselling in 2014. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so you're you have been living in Singapore for about the last is it six years now? Yeah, five and a half years. Yes, that's correct. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so tell me what what are you doing in genetics at the moment? Right. So um, when I arrived here, I guess um, there wasn't it wasn't as diverse the genetics. Um, and a lot of the information that um, I guess our reference points was coming from Caucasian populations, but uh-huh. um, the population here is of Asian ancestry. So we've been trying to collect a lot of data from um, people living here. So their phenotypic data, um, they've been getting a health screen and we've also been doing MRIs to look at, well, what does, I guess, a, a normal Asian person look like? Uh-huh. We've been collecting family history and also whole genome sequencing. So what does the whole genome uh, DNA sequence look like? And with this, we're trying to understand in Asian populations what are genetic variants which are normally normally occurring and also what are ones which are disease-causing. So I guess that's what I've been spending been spending the last couple of years doing. Uh-huh. Um, and and we're returning results back to people that are interested as well. So these are healthy people coming in as volunteers and then we are um, giving back information about either a potential genetic condition that they might have, which they haven't realised, such as hypercholesterolemia, or a genetic condition that they might be at risk of developing, so a cancer condition or a heart condition, um, or perhaps they're a carrier um, of a genetic condition, And we've also been looking at um, pharmacogenomics as well. So um, genetic variants that um, people, um, uh, that will influence how people respond to drugs. Yeah. So you have Mm -hmm. just mentioned about a hundred things that I would love to talk to you in a bit more detail. Um, Pharmacogenetics Mm -hmm. is definitely something I want to talk to you a bit more about, and I might just put that off for a second. But Mm -hmm. my understanding is, so when you're sort of talking about about variants, um, so... I guess um, in other areas of medicine, if you did um, like a a cholesterol check or an iron level check or you looked at someone's sugar levels, it wouldn't matter Mm -hmm. what race or what our ethnic background was, it would just be the same from from all over the world. Whereas with genetics, is there, there, are you saying that there's variation between different races? Yes, that's right. So there is variation. And we're actually also finding that there is a little bit of variation, um, 
I guess if we go back to outside genetics, um, like what does a normal heart look like? So the dimensions are different in Asian populations. So uh-huh. all the criteria that you know doctors use to diagnose a condition are a little bit different here. So we're collecting information about that. Um, and then also going to the genetic variants. Yes, so genetic variants that might be really rare in, um, in Caucasian populations or Euro- you know, people with European ancestry might be really common here. So um, there have been some uh, some literature now, um, particularly in cardiology, where people in uh, with a European background have been diagnosed with a, a heart condition um, associated on genetic information, whereas in our populations, these variants are really common. So it's actually not um, associated with the development of a genetic condition. So we're finding that, yep, genetic variants are um, ancestry-specific. Wow. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know many genetic counsellors that are actually doing that type of work. Like, is is that sort of what clinical work is in Singapore or is this part of research Um, or...? Yep. So, um, so yes. So I guess I'm heavily involved in research in Singapore, but then there is that clinical arm that we are returning results and um, that then goes through a clinical pathway. So I guess I'm doubling in both research and clinical work. Um, I would say that most of the genetic counsellors here do work in more of a a clinical setting. Uh So in paediatrics and cancer is um, the two that are quite strong. And I guess my clinical arm is cardiology. So I also Uh have clinical cardiology clinics. Um, but we're also, I guess, um, there is no um, refunding for genetic testing here. So we do do a lot of the genetic testing through research. So then there's no out-of-pocket costs for um, patients here Uh Um, or it comes from donations as well. So I guess that changes the way that we practice over here a little bit too. So we're just trying to make, trying to make, I guess, um, genetic services as accessible as possible without being too expensive. Uh-huh. I, I know in in my role, I really like the diversity. I, I like that when I go to work, I, I'm doing something a little bit different every day and, you know, sort of different areas of medicine and um, different sort mm-hmm. of genetic counselling practices. And it sounds like the work that you're doing sounds really varied as well. It is, yeah. So, I mean, I, I worked more in an adult onset environment um, and I guess with the specific focus of cancer and cardiology, but um, it's definitely diversified. And also, I guess, um, the clientele is diversified as well because I'm now seeing people that are healthy as well as people that um, have a family history of genetic conditions or are affected by a genetic condition. So, Yep, it's definitely um, very mixed, the type of work that I do here. And and so how does that work when you're meeting with healthy volunteers that are, you know, these are people that have, have volunteered to be involved in, in genetic research and you're meeting with them saying that mm-hmm. they're actually, you know, I'm imagining you're giving them news that they wouldn't be expecting. Um, is that sort of how it works? Yeah, that's right. Yep. So we do, I mean, when they when they sign up, we do give them information about that we're doing some genetic testing as well as the medical screen. And this is the type of information that you may receive. Um, 
and it might be an inherited uh, genetic condition. So we're returning results where um, people can actually do something about, you know, so there's some sort of value for knowing, so some screening or medical intervention. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yes, so those that consent, and interestingly, most people are consenting to receive this information. So, yep. um, so then, yes, so then I am returning um, genetic variants associated with conditions such as you know, cancer and cardiology or cholesterol um, to people who, yeah, where there isn't really much of a family history um, or, and there may not have been a medical indication for that as well. So because the people that are being recruited were recruited as healthy people. Uh-huh. So, yep, it certainly is um, surprising news that we give back. And and how does that conversation go? I I would imagine that um, on average a lot of people would sort of have similar reactions. Um, can you tell me sort of what those reactions are like? Yeah, so um, I guess this is a biased cohort in that these are people that are volunteering to undergo, um, you know, a medical health screen and they're volunteering to receive this information. Um, but they actually are coming back and thinking that this information is valuable for them to know. So I haven't really had anybody who's expressed that they've been regretful. Um, They've all gone on to do a clinical validation as well, so it moves into the clinical arena and then gone on to um, do the the clinical health checks. I've had one or two where they've decided that, um, you know, this information they don't think that their family members would be interested in hearing and they've had a bit of difficulties communicating this information to their family members and that family members um, don't really want to do anything about it. Um, and I think that's that's kind of um, not so surprising, particularly if you're giving information about a genetic condition that might not have already been known in the family where there's no family history. So. Yeah. And I would think that one of the strengths of this research or this study is that genetic counsellors are involved. Um, you know, not only are you sort of giving results, which anyone could do, but as a genetic counsellor, you have skills in communication and family dynamics and, and sort of having that conversation. So, uh, um, you know, you kind of just described cases where maybe there is an issue with family dynamics. And I would think that mm-hmm. having a bank, a background in genetic counselling would be an advantage there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as you know, we can have continual contact with people as well. So how they respond one day might be different. So we keep in contact, we send out information and appointment, summary appointment letters and letters that they can give to their family. So, you know, this is ongoing um, and, And these people are always welcome to contact us um, should they change their minds about anything or want more information. So, yeah. Excellent. Definitely. And Mm -hmm. now if we can come back to pharmacogenomics, um, you sort of Mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, that word. It's a big word. And um, (laughs) um, I know when I'm sort of explaining it to people, I kind of say, you know, we all sort of have different reactions to different types of drugs. And sort of the example I use is um, uh, caffeine. So I know that when I have a coffee, it it does kind of make me a little bit 
perky or, you know, it does keep me, um, <laughs> you know, it kind of lifts me up. But I could very easily have a coffee and go straight to bed and have no problems falling asleep. Whereas I know that there are some other people that, um, you know, they can't have a coffee after three o'clock because they just won't be able to get to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about pharmacogenomics and how you explain what it is and what how you're sort of involved in it? Ah, so well, I haven't explained it in that way, but maybe I should um, <laughs> adapt to that approach. I guess I'm a little bit more um, medical. When I no, um, you know, that's probably more appropriate, but um, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I just, I, well, so we're looking at, um, there's maybe 40 or so genetic variants and they're associated with, um, so these are um, associations where, again, there's quite a lot of um evidence that they are causing an effect if a particular drug is given. So we screen for these 40 variants and then, um, look, everybody has, even out of the 40 variants, everybody has between two or five or six different variations, Uh um, which will then um, determine how they might react to different medications. So the type of medications are... um, statins or immunotherapy. So we said if you were to develop a cancer later on, well, this particular um, this particular drug might not be so useful for you or you might have a particular reaction. So we list them down uh-huh. um, on the on the genetic report and then we just go through them. Um, and so then we're what's also a statin? With, oh, so a statin um, is when somebody has um, high cholesterol that they might be given this type of medication to lower their cholesterol. Okay, yeah. And this is quite this is quite significant in um, particularly in Singapore, um, where high cholesterol is um, quite common. So um, this is a, I guess this is a pharmaco variant which is um, quite relevant uh, relevant to a lot of the population here. Um, and then so they don't have to remember all this information. We're now working with a, a, a company which has made a, an app on the phone. So if volunteers consent, we can now um, give this company just their, um, their drug response variants and then they can type in the drug if they've been prescribed and then this will tell them if it's a suitable drug for them to take or not. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I know um, in my private practice, I I offer my clients a pharmacogenomics product. I think it's the, um, one of the best ones on the market. It's through mm-hmm. an excellent lab um, based in California in America. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, I stand by the science. I think that this is a, a clinically relevant um, test and it, it is um, you know, it, it's a relevant, it's a good test. Whereas I kind of feel like um, pharmacogenomics is still seen as sort of on the fringes of genetics or, you know, it's not too relevant to kind of current medical issues. But I think it's one of those areas where, of course, it's going to be relevant and it's only a matter of time before anyone who goes to hospital is going to have one of these tests. Is that sort yeah. of the trend you're seeing? Um, not so much the trend that I'm seeing, but it's something that I do really believe in because there's a lot of um, hospital admissions because of uh, 
adverse reactions to drugs. So it's something that I am quite passionate about. Um, I think it's quite an easy test. We're not talking about something that's inherited anymore. Everybody has different variants and will have different drug responses. So if we can help minimise adverse um, effects when drugs are given, then I think that's you know can only be a good thing. So mm. I do think it's a matter of time. I think there's a lot of um, global initiatives as well where... Um, they are trying to encourage um, people to have pharmacogenetic tests so that it helps with the administration of drugs. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking a lot about that in Singapore as well and how can we um, input these this information to medical records so it does flag up immediately when somebody may not be suitable for a particular drug. Yeah. It, it just kind of makes sense, you know, like if mm-hmm. someone is sick exactly. with um, a particular condition and there's there's a number of different drugs, I, you know, in the past the, um, the idea has just been to give everyone the same drug and we know that um, right. that drug will work well with some people but not with others. And if we could do a simple mm-hmm. test at the start to see which medication um, a certain person will respond to the best, like I just think that that, you know, it's almost a no-brainer. That that's kind yeah. of what we need to yeah. start doing. Mm-hmm. And the and the test itself is not so expensive either. So, you know, it could ultimately be accessible as well. So it's quite different to other tests that we're um that we're offering for inherited conditions. These tests are, I think, are quite affordable. So, hopefully, um, there will be a, a bigger uptake. Yeah, amongst the hospitals and, and health systems yeah, to yeah. drive this forward. Yeah. So you, um, apart from your um, or alongside your research, you said that in your clinical mm-hmm. work in Singapore you're working a lot with inherited um, cardiac conditions. Um, can you tell me yes. a little bit more yep. about that? Um, yeah, so I'm working in, um, so there's two uh, heart centres based in the two public hospitals here. So um, I'm really, I've just been starting up these clinics over the past few years. Um, So working with the cardiologists. So a lot of it is about educating cardiologists about when um, an appropriate referral um, may be made. And I do spend a lot of time talking to other medical practitioners as well about um, cardiogenetics and and then um, meeting with patients. And I would say that a lot of the time, because um, awareness is not as high here, say, um, as in other countries, so a lot of the time is spent around um, education, about ge- just basic genetics concepts and how things can be inherited and how genetics can have an impact on individuals and their family members. Uh-huh. So, Yeah. Okay, and so that sounds like a, a, a big component of your job is actually education. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yes. Yeah, so, and, and I think this is something that I would like to focus on this year as well, um, education. I think particularly with healthcare professionals, I'm finding that um, more and more healthcare professionals are ordering genetics tests. Um, there's no regulation over here about having to go through a genetic service. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, the genetic reports now are just becoming more and more complicated. So I'm finding I'm starting to spend a bit of time um, going through the genetic reports with um, healthcare professionals so that they understand 
what the report is saying and then also what the implications are. So what does this result mean for their um, for their patient and then family members as well? And what options do their patients have with this information? So I think for me this will be um, a, a big focus rather than trying to, say, build up, you know, genetics centres where we receive referrals. I think um, I might spend a bit more time now trying to uh, go to healthcare professionals, as I think that genomics here will become more mainstream in the medical system. And what I was going to say was, um, I think that a lot of people out there that um, you know w- that don't know a lot about genetics or a lot about medicine would just assume that mm-hmm. if a doctor ordered a test, they would then be able to um, interpret. The result, you know, a, a result is mm. issued, um, you know, it's a, a printed piece of paper or, you know, the result is on the computer. Yeah. Uh, are you kind of yeah. saying that um, your skills as a genetic counsellor, um, like part of your role is you would then be able to explain that to doctors that don't necessarily understand everything about the tests they've ordered? Yeah. So, um, yeah, as I was saying, I think that the tests now becoming more and more complicated um, as there's a lot more um, genetic information. Well, there's a lot more, yeah, genetics uh, information which is being tested and then a lot more um, information is being produced on the report. So it becomes quite complicated for for the doctors to read through the reports and try and determine what information is significant, what information is known and unknown and and what to do with that. And, yeah, actually I spent some time with an ophthalmologist two weeks ago going through some reports that she'd ordered through through an overseas company. And, you know, it did take us quite a while just to go through one report and, um, and, you know, I really had to go down to the basics as well to explain what it meant. And, yep, certainly as a genetic counsellor, these are skills that... um, that we bring, that we have an understanding of what this genetic information is meaning. That's fantastic. Well done. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I love about you is that you are, um, you know, keen to to go to different conferences and to kind of hear um, sort of, you know, at different um, conferences around the world, hear what's happening and sort of um, Mm. take that knowledge back and sort of to really use it. And Mm -hmm. one of the conferences um, that you attended recently was the Asia Pacific um, Human Genetics Conference in Bangkok. And Uh, Mm -hmm. um, my understanding is that you sort of were talking about um, how genetic counselling is evolving in Asia and sort of, um, our training in Australia or Australasia and how that um, could possibly help in Asia. I- is that correct? Is mm. is that what you were doing at that conference? Yeah, so uh, I was speaking about um, the genetic counselling um, yeah, qualifications which are generated from Australia and for genetic counsellors that would like to go to Australia, how would their qualifications be recognised and how could um, people work towards becoming certified in Australia as well? Um, but I have, over the past two years, it's really been quite um, quite phenomenal, the expansion of genetic counselling um, education in Asia, which I think is fantastic to see. So countries now like India and Indonesia and the Philippines um, 
Malaysia are also um, developing genetic counselling programs. So, um, and uh, yeah, Japan, Korea, they've had very well-established ones. So that's really nice to see that it's evolving in Asia as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. your another interesting thing is, um, you know, as you're describing your work, it's like you've got um, a finger in lots of different genetic counselling pies. And mm-hmm. um, one thing that I know that you're sort of involved a little bit with is the supervision of um, genetic counsellor counselling students. Um, mm-hmm. uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so there are um, a few, uh, so there's a few genetic counsellors, there's quite a few genetic counsellors here that trained in Australia. Um, Singapore doesn't have its own genetic counselling training program. Um, so a lot of people have that part one, so the first type of um, certification. Mm-hmm. And um And so I guess I'm really trying to encourage people now to get their full certification. So I am supervising a, um, I guess not a genetic counselling student, a a genetic counsellor, so that she can complete her certification um, here in Singapore. And I'm hoping that, you know, if she starts, then a lot of people will follow. Um, And then genetic counselling students. So I did have... um, a genetic counselling student who was doing her um, studies in Melbourne and then she came over and did a project here, which was great. It was about family communication uh-huh. because until that, that that kind of area hadn't been explored about um, about how it, or if people um, communicate genetics information within the family. So that was really good to get some insight. Um, and, yeah, I'm always happy to accept um, genetic counselling student placements over in Singapore, if anybody wants to come. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you sort of touched on the the certification process for genetic counsellors, you know, like um, mm. you, when you're out and about and, you know, like I know when I'm sort of talking to different people or meeting someone for the first time and they say, um, oh, you know, what's a genetic counsellor? Like nobody really knows what genetic counselling is. And then to sort of be talking about our certification process, do, do you think that mm. um, becoming certified is important in our profession? Yeah, I do actually. Um, yeah, I do. I think I learned a lot from the process that just, just gives you a very in-depth look into how you're practising um, and also I think it gives us a lot of confidence as well. So, yeah, I do. Um, I have to say it was I found it a hard slog. Um, it took me a long time, but um, I do think that it is worthwhile doing for sure, yeah. Excellent. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, <laughs> Well, no, I agree. <laughs> I, um, I, I think, you know, I... I I finished genetic counselling and then when I got my first job, I I was really keen to to start that process. And, um, you know, the advice was to, to not even think about it for about a year. And mm. I finished my certification in three years. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm sort of one of the, the people that have done it the quickest out of um, – a lot of people. A lot Most of, of us. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, I don't have children and, you know, maybe it was yeah. a, a little bit easier. But, um, yeah, yeah it, it, it's a massive job. But I think that it yeah. really gives our profession, um, you know, legitimacy and credibility. And yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that it's really important. Yeah. 
and also having this, um, you know, the board as well to not to censor, but, you know, for regulation, um, I think that's also really important that we have this strong um, organisation presence behind us as well who are supportive through this process. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I also heard, and now tell me if I'm incorrect, but you were granted a fellowship to um, attend or to be involved with the European meeting on psychosocial aspects of genetics. Um, Uh, Yes. Yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me about that? (laughs) Well, I guess that's based on, um, so we've just had a paper published in Genetics and Medicine, and it is about... um, the data collection, so developing this, um, you know, this database of, of genetic information, which we can then use to understand what genetic conditions are prevalent in Singapore. And then that helps just with um, developing health policies about uh, what genetic conditions we should be focusing on. So um, I guess that's been helpful in um, having a fellowship awarded. So, yeah, I'll get to present that information um, in, in, at the European conference in June. Oh, congratulations. And I, Thank you know, you. <laughs> this is really exciting. I know that, you know, when I and my colleagues like you went to university and what we were taught about genetic counseling, um, you know, I think that we had really good training, but I don't think we kind of realized at the time as students, how varied our jobs could be. And yeah, definitely. one of my <laughs> aims with this podcast is to talk to, um, you know, various um, genetic counsellors and other people working in clinical genetics and sort of really having a good chat and um, exploring the different issues. And I think that you've done an excellent job today sort of explaining um, sort of the various areas. It, it just sounds fascinating. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I, look, I totally agree with you. When I studied, like when I first... Um, became aware of genetic counselling. That was in my undergrad degree and I think it was pretty much the education was around, you know, two genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2. So um, it's certainly evolved since then and I think um, it's great that we can now use our skills to work in many different areas and make, um, you know, make an impact which will help genetics become uh, more integrated into medical care. Excellent. Well, I'd like to um, finish there and thank you very much for being part of this podcast. Um, We covered um, quite a few different things and I'm going to type that up and put that into a a fact sheet. And I'd just like to say I'm a genetic counsellor in Melbourne, but I see people in my private practice um, from all over Australia. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have any questions or you would like an appointment about anything that Yasmin and or I said today, um, please feel free to get in touch. But, um, yeah, thank you very much, Yasmin, and um, uh, thank you. I'm really grateful. (laughs) You're welcome, and I look forward to listening to your podcasts. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye.